0: All I remember about this movie, because it is utterly forgettable, is what we call the sleigh ride to friendship, where a human and a predator literally get on like a bobsled together.
1: <laughs>
2: oh Welcome to the Warm Honey Podcast, a podcast with the working title of the Warm Honey Podcast, and probably the only podcast in the world that always has dishwashers, dishwashers, dishwashers running in the background while we're recording. My name is Tobias Blutart.
0: And I am Alison Staub.
2: And uh, we've actually been talking uh, or recording our first pre-pilot kind of first dry run episode two weeks ago, and we realized we didn't do any hosting on it, like none at all. We just uh, started talking and that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, literally zero. So this is, this is basically our chance to maybe introduce what we are doing here a little bit more, because... Um, I think it started out as a as kind of a joke, didn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. We were just uh, chatting. Somebody in uh, the bosom said that they would listen to uh, you know a podcast of us talking, and uh, which was a, a lovely, flattering thing to say. And then you and I were like, "That's actually Definitely. a great idea. We should do that
1: because we're both <laughs> narcissists,
0: and we love to hear ourselves."
1: Oh talk. yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I basically I even think uh he just said that about you specifically and I hopped onto okay. that because I, I thought it could be fun.
0: Yes indeed. Um and I think our original working concept was kind of like a rotating schedule of um various pieces of pop culture that we are uh familiar and maybe unfamiliar with. Um so, you know, perhaps each different iteration of our episodes um, will be variations on a theme one particular theme and the theme of this episode is watching something that is very near and dear to my heart but that Tobias has not seen at all which is Alien
2: uh, it, it's hard to admit that, I've, uh, that I'm a 33 year old geek who has never seen Alien <laughs> until like 3 weeks ago
0: well and that, and that you saw that... Aliens first which was bizarre
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that too but uh, that is basically the thing we were talking about. This is still, I think, um, far away from the uh, from the kind of format we want to be doing um, when we a- should we actually say we want to go ahead with this, which, uh, which I think we do now. Um, yep. But um, I think what everyone needs to know who listens to this, um, hopefully voluntarily, <laughs> is um, And then this—the recording that you're about to hear—is basically the first time that we ever talk to each other outside of the medium of text.
0: Right. Yeah. This is the first time that we ever spoke via Skype. Um, So really, just a trial run to see if we have the kind of podcast rapport that is necessary for an endeavor of this sort. Um, So you'll just get to hear a friendly conversation. Uh, We kept it pretty free-flowing. Maybe a little too free-flowing. Um, that we didn't really have oh yeah, too much structure um, for this particular episode. But like we said, this was more of an experiment um, to see if we could carry carry a pod between the two of us. Um, and we think there's certainly potential there. So take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. Uh, more structure and organization is coming, we promise.
2: Yeah, and if you have any ideas what uh, in, in terms of structure that uh, might jump at you while listening to this, this is precisely the reason why we are showing this uh, really, really, really rough thing to people. It's because we want to hear uh, thoughts of people that aren't us and that are uh, probably... Near and dear to us.
0: Yes, indeed, we definitely want to hear from you guys. Uh, you know, give us your honest feedback. Uh, we could certainly use some. Uh, also, a couple of statements I think to preface this conversation, since it was so free-flowing. Um, not all of it has a whole lot of context. Um, Uh, Other than, you know, the the piece of media that that we're talking about, I think we get, we touch a little bit as kind of a a trigger warning to people that might be sensitive to this particular issue. We do talk about alien as a metaphor for uh, sexual assault um, and kind of as a horror trope, uh, you know, using sexual assault as a horror trope. We really don't get too deep into that, Um, so I don't think it should be upsetting to most people. Um, but if that is something that you just do not want to hear about, we do have a small snippet of the conversation that talks about that. Um, so just wanted to, you know, preface anybody's ears. Uh, like I said, I think we, we spent like less than 30 seconds really um, on that before moving yeah, on to yeah. uh, kind of like motherhood as a, as a major theme. Um, but yeah, uh, just wanted to say that up top.
2: Also, not to get ahead of ourselves in terms of uh, any post- post-mortems, but uh, this is probably a topic we could have or should have uh, given ourselves a little bit more time on that we could have dived into a little bit deeper. But yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, I think.
0: Definitely. And, and listening listening back to it, uh, we seem, or at least I seem, a little flippant about the issue, and I want to make sure that nobody thinks that I, I am flippant about that issue. I think we just moved on from it rather quickly um, before we could really... Uh, dig into it um, so yes more structure uh, and and more uh, maybe plotted out themes and conversations to be happening in further episodes but wanted to preface that at the top um, especially because I know that you know that's kind of content I would want uh, somebody to warn me about just so I know that I go in with a with an open mind uh, and a, an aware mind
2: yeah also speaking of things I'd want to be warned about in a podcast is um, the audio quality in this recording is is, is really bad uh, <laughs> so I tried to <laughs> I tried to um, to set up my mic uh, the best way I, I could and uh, I think I failed horribly at that. <laughs> you, um, you don't give
0: yourself enough credit you you took what was a four hour conversation and cleaned it up quite a bit.
2: Yeah, that's that's the editing part i th- i th- i think that, that uh, i did, did do the work on this but but um there's only so much you can do with with the kind of uh, with this kind of uh, messed up recording that's so true. that's that's just the thing i wanna preface because because um the thing is because we're just uh, easing into things and going a bit with the flow uh it's uh, i've never been one um one of these people that uh take it upon themselves to like start um starting to go running or uh, training for a marathon and invest 500 euros in in equipment. That's not what I do. (laughs) So (laughs) this is just um, us easing into things and uh, probably picking up stuff we might need uh, as we go.
0: Definitely, Um, and so without further ado, uh, let's get into the
2: end there has already been a lot of ado <laughs> there has been a lot of ado yeah but yeah let's definitely let's go into it. I hope you enjoyed and um, I think uh, there's no one here that needs to be told uh, 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 which uh, way we can be reached so please uh, give us a, give it a listen and uh, give us some feedback on it.
0: Awesome thanks guys You watched Alien for the first time
2: I did ever I did I did yeah. Um,
0: Why did you wait so
2: long? (laughs) I didn't wait. It's just just, just one of these things that just pass you by in a way. I mean, it was an old movie when I started to get into science fiction when I was a really young boy. I was like 12, 13 or something like that. And I actually wanted to watch it back then, but uh, I I wasn't allowed to. My parents. That's a common story, yeah. uh, Yeah, I I was allowed to watch a lot of things, but strangely, uh, I wasn't allowed to watch Alien, mostly because my parents... They actually said uh, they were afraid that I could be afraid that those aliens might actually come, which is the <laughs> weirdest thing even 12-year-old me has ever heard. That is bizarre. It is bizarre. But my parents are bizarre people, so it kind of checks out.
0: <laughs> um, I'll tell you, so I also was not allowed to watch Alien, um, but also expressed no interest in it for one <laughs> primary reason when I was little. Um We were like a Disney family growing up, because uh, in Louisiana, um, driving to Orlando is actually, it's like a 12-hour drive, Um, so you can do it between two parents in one day, usually. Um, So at Walt Disney Studios, there is a ride called the Great Movie Ride, and there's, like, you know, uh, animatronics and, like, set scenes of, like, singing in the rain and like the wizard of oz and all these things but one of them is alien and it is absolutely terrifying (laughs) it is the most terrifying like 30 seconds and you're not really doing anything on this ride it's literally just like a little tram that goes through all these scenes it's like not scary at all but it's it was terrifying for me as, like, a three-year-old being, like, there's a <laughs> literal alien coming out of the ceiling and, like, dripping, like, things onto you. And it's just, like,
2: I mean, absolutely it means, terrifying. It has to mean something <laughs> if you can remember it.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. I, don't,
2: um, I, I know I don't remember, uh, I don't remember much from, from that age.
0: But we should we should get into it. What was your impression of the film before you watched it? Like, what did you think it was going to be like? Did you just like, I mean, it's such a cultural touchstone. I would it imagine is, yeah. that you absorbed some of the story via osmosis.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, the main thing, I guess, um, I I thought about what what I knew about Alien. I had watched Aliens, by the way. As...
0: Wait, you watched Aliens before Alien?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> hold on a second. Uh, I told you I was not allowed to watch Aliens, so um, one night when I was maybe 13 or something my parents were away and i had the house to myself and aliens was on tv so i watched that <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified
0: <laughs> well and I, some people would consider aliens to be like the epitome of the franchise but i that's interesting that you saw it beforehand
2: yeah it, uh, i think it's it's kind of um it's it's a question of sensibilities right because uh alien is I always thought of alien to be probably a little bit more sophisticated, but also potentially more terrifying than aliens because it's supposed to be more psychological, you know? Right. So that's that's what I was expecting going in. And um... spoiler alert, that didn't happen to me. Right. <laughs> and it's pro, it's definitely more sophisticated than aliens, as far as i mem- I remember aliens. Um, but it didn't creep me out that way. It did work, work for me in a different way than, than I expected to. I, I expected to be kind of more or less be terrified all the way through, mm-hmm. which I was not. Right. I was more like mildly unsettled, I think.
0: Right. Did you watch it like on, I think, another part of Alien that is hard to, yes, it's scary and it's um, very atmospheric, but I think also the sound is really important. So I, I definitely found that it lost something Um, typically I'll watch movies, uh, with the like private listening function on Roku. So I can kind of get more of a surround sound sort of experience via headphones, but I watched it yesterday with a, with a friend. So, uh, we, we just had it on my TV and it definitely kind of like toned things down a notch in terms of like the paranoia and the the kind of freneticness that you typically would feel, I think, mm. either in a theater setting or when you're more immersed in the sound of I it. Know,
2: I, I think I had, a, I had a pretty good immersive sound experience, so I usually watch things um, uh, I have a pretty good I have my TV hooked up to a pretty good uh, stereo system at home mm-hmm. and oh. usually when I'm on the on the couch, I think I'm actually at that um, um, at perfect this, point uh, yeah, is the that the clear? focal point. Yeah, yeah, That's that good. that um, that all your fields always like to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. So, it was, so I think that there was but I think um, it's it's kind of difficult for me to talk about the the effect it had on me for two reasons because I'm I was I think doubly chemically influenced when I was it. <laughs> uh, the thing is the one thing is that I was obviously I think at least five or six pints of beer in at this point. So. <laughs>
0: That's a great. That's a great way to watch a movie. It
2: actually. is, but um, it's also a great way not to get terrified by pretty much anything. That's true. And and the other thing is and that maybe cuts a little bit deeper is um, that I found that the antidepressants I have t- been taken for the last I think two years or something mm-hmm. um, really cut into that that feeling of being afraid or terrified of something mm-hmm. though I, I have been in situations where i where i'm definitely sure that you know the normal reaction is to be terrified of that i think that's the only that's the only emotion that i feel is, is somehow dampened by this
0: so, well and i've, I've been on uh, antidepressants as well i feel like uh you the, the point in general of antidepressants is to keep you from swinging to extremes right yeah, yeah so it's to keep you more level and sometimes the side effect of that is that when you normally would be either excited or uh terrified or sad, it just kind of like dampens everything down to the middle
2: uh, I think uh, it, it doesn't work actually work that that way for me because most things basically stay the same but what definitely gets them damped down as anything adrenaline related mm-hmm. so i've been in several situations where people said they were too excited like I, i've been uh, on um, on a bachelor car- bachelor party, I think you say, where where we went on a go kart race. Oh! It was kind of fun. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was, um, and I was one of the drivers. And w- one of the other drivers afterwards said, uh, and I, I think we'd already gotten off the um, off the track for about fifteen to twenty minutes or, or something like that. And he, and, and he said, I can't drive right now. I'm just still too pumped. My heart is still still, still pounding too hard. And, uh, right. I, and I I just I just looked at him and I, and I thought. No idea what you're talking about. Right. Like, I mean, why? this was this was fun, but yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> right. Especially the first movie um really solidified Eleanor Ripley as kind of a yeah, 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 like very much a lesbian icon. And I was actually picking this apart with a friend last night while we were watching the movie. We we're trying to figure out um kind of how this came to be. And the closest theory that I can give you. Is, well, first of all, I think Ellen Ripley becoming kind of this especially queer lady icon has a lot to do with um, a couple of things. First, she's the woman that is not heard and not heeded, which is something that people can relate to quite a lot. Um, and then she's also just like a badass, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially near the end where she's like in her lit- literal underwear and ooh, a wife beater. And I, like that's that, that something flamethrower. I noted down <laughs> well oh and the and the sexual imagery in this movie, a lot of people um I guess on the surface it seems more horror oriented um but to me, especially if you know anything about h r. Geiger's work, it is body horror through a sexual lens um
2: there's and light in here. One of the things I just noticed when I, when I was just thinking about this is there's this uh, the, the kitty kitty scene with, with Jonesy where Jonesy. this room is like. I have expected that uh, that this is a set that just. The minute they're done shooting, turned Reznor rolls around like midnight. <laughs> and there's a torture porn music video in there.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it has this very like. Uh, grunge industrial, yeah. sort of
2: greasy deal. machines. It's kind of raining down from the ceiling. There's just oh, uh, yeah. chains hanging <laughs> down yeah, from
0: like random chains everywhere, and like this, like, yeah, like greasy industrial set. Hey, come on, baby. Come on, baby. That's a kitty.
1: That's a kitty. Come on, baby.
2: Thank you.
0: Another thing that I think uh, really sets the movie into place is how, like, gross and very dirty and lived oh, in it. Oh, it's super gross. Um, I think part of that comes from... Uh, this movie would have never gotten greenlit without Star Wars because these, you know, larger budget... Um, sci-fi films were not really being made but after the success of star wars um especially fox was more keen to green light a project like this
2: well, we um, know we know a few movies that that ended up uh, uh grinded like this like this i mean uh, we're both star trek fans we know the history yes
0: of course <laughs> um but so, with Star Trek
2: you can see it, with Alien you can't see it on the screen I mean hmm. with, with Star Trek you can see that they have they overhauled everything and everyone just looked like the Rebel Alliance people right. but that's not the case with Alien
0: No that's not the case with Alien um, but I think what they tried to do was um, kind of mimic that dirty lived in style of A New Hope mm-hmm. which has that kind of grit to it um, but then you know of course Ridley Scott uh, and I think some of the screenwriters were originally, the way that this project all kind of came together is they were all working on Jodorowsky's Dune, which we know never actually came to fruition. Um, so they were all working together. H.R. Geiger, uh, a couple of the screenwriters. Uh, I don't think Ridley Scott was was yet signed on. Um, but the reason it looks so radically different, yet a little bit more grungy, is kind of the clash of those two things. Um, so like take, the weirdness of H.R. Geiger from a Jodorowsky kind of perspective, smash it together <laughs> with the dirtiness of it, uh, you know, Tatooine and A New Hope, and you get this kind of like grungy, lived-in space. And you'll see a very stark contrast on the Nostromo between um, very clean, almost wound-like oh, yeah. spaces, like oh, yeah. uh, the, the kitchen, um, the, the room where they go, I call it the blinky light room, where they go <laughs> to talk to mother. Um, And then, oh, I mean, getting into the uh, kind of the psychology behind all of the, like, mother imagery, the, like, uh, babies, and, I mean, I'll say something that's not particularly controversial because it's been said before, but Alien is a rape movie um, at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's, I think the reason why it has been so popular universally um, is because it's, the men that are getting raped and have, <laughs> <laughs> having, you know, uh, unplanned pregnancies, shall we call it. So it's kind of, kind of, it has a lot going on, you know, there's a lot to, to unpack there.
2: It's also uh, one thing I noticed it, I think a lot of science fiction movies, including like, I think this is a parallel, another parallel between this movie and Star Trek The Motion Picture is that it draws a lot, I think, from 2001. Because 2001 yep. had these long, lingering space porn mm-hmm. shots. And Alien has a lot of those. Just a lot. As in, like, just inside, interior tracking shots. They do these, all these tracking shots through the hallways and mm-hmm. uh, through the scenery. And it's almost like the, the ship itself seems like the star of the movie.
0: Oh, Yeah. No, the Nostromo is is certainly a character in and of itself. Um, what I really like, though, is uh, the the long shots, like uh, when they first go into kind of the infirmary to find out where the face hugger is gone,
1: yeah.
0: um, and there's just this long shot. It lasts for over a minute, and it's it's low. Um, it's it's really low onto the ground, kind of from the perspective of this little creature, um, and it just lingers for so long you have so much paranoia that finally you know uh dallas like knocks over something and everybody just like jump scares the hell (laughs) (laughs) out of out of the entire scene because you're just waiting you know on bated breath um yeah the movie never gives you time to breathe that's what's it's kind of claustrophobic and and full of paranoia even when the you know alien isn't on screen
2: yeah definitely um i think what adds to this is something you don't really see in movies today is that like one third of it is basically people on screen arguing with each other
0: oh yeah and a lot of that I did not expect that I did not expect that at all um a lot of that dialogue doesn't even seem like it was you know put down to paper um and I don't know how much of it was improvised uh I do know uh we can catalog this into Ridley Scott is known to be kind of an asshole (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, so our, our I famous,
1: that. I our famous, he's, he,
0: uh, he's, he's meticulous, but he's also known for kind of, uh, taking, shall we call creative liberties with his directing style. <laughs> um, and one of those was not telling anybody in the cast what was about to happen to John Hurt while he's like about to have this thing, you know, chest burst out of him. Um, so the reactions that you see in that shot are not, nobody is acting in that moment. (laughs) Everyone is purely horrified, including, um, the other actress, I forget her name, um, not Sigourney Weaver, but our only other female actor, um, she was, like, traumatized that they had to, like, stop filming (laughs) for quite a while. (laughs) Um, they told John Hurt a very small amount about what was about to happen, but they didn't tell anybody else, you know, what was going to happen. And at that point, um, those types of special effects that had never been attempted before. Um, so it came as a shock to everyone. <laughs> everyone was just absolutely horrified.
2: This is like uh, the movie equivalent of uh, of these uh, the Stanley Milgram experiments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's... Super insightful. So for everyone who doesn't know them, it's uh, basically they've had uh, subjects for an experiment and they have been telling them that they are grading someone in another room on, I think, math problems. And they had to um, uh, administer electrical shocks if they got them wrong. And it escalated to a point where you could clearly hear that the other person was in pain. But um, people... Still kept on doing it, especially when uh, someone in a lab coat kept uh, pushing them. Uh, yeah, somebody t- in a
0: position of authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And I, I think it was signified by the lab coat. I think that mattered actually a lot. Um, so, but nothing happened actually because the person in the other room was an actor and it uh, was all too, to find out how people react uh, to to persons of authority, edging them on to do things they would probably normally not do. This is not an experiment you would do these days. You couldn't do it anymore. I think you couldn't. I think that experiment itself triggered standards for uh, (laughs) what you could do to your test subjects because people were traumatized after that.
0: (laughs) You'd have to be a monster not to be. (laughs) I mean,
2: they were capital T traumatized. They had to, most of them had to be in in therapy for years.
0: Oh yeah. Well, and imagine even after you find out the conceit of something like that,
2: like you uh, think you have killed someone.
0: Yeah, I mean, so even even something like a special effect that you know is supposedly not real, but you weren't warned ahead of time, now you're just on guard every time you're on a film set for something <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is God. just going to be horribly traumatic. Such
2: <laughs> an asshole Ridley. <religious.
0: laughs> it was totally not necessary, but, uh, I mean, he got the reaction that he wanted. Um, and I, he's not the first director, nor will he probably be the last to oh. use that cheap, dirty trick. But um, trust,
2: trust, trust in your actors, please. They're professionals. <laughs> you pay them to do exactly yeah. this kind of thing.
0: Um, but kind of something that is connected to that. Uh, so you know, you have several different themes running concurrently throughout the movie. I think one of them is, of course, corporate greed. Um. Because we come to find out that Weyland-Yutani is not the corporation you really want to be <laughs> working for. Um, and this idea that uh, corporations will, uh, or especially these kind of like massive endeavors, uh, will commit violence essentially uh, against their employees for, for profit. Um, which is kind of ironic considering that Alien itself has become its own sort of corporation (laughs) and its (laughs) own industry uh, to a certain extent uh, with varying degrees of success. I'm interested actually to see uh, your reactions to three and four, which are the most polarizing in the franchise. Both of them are. Um, I would say probably four is uh, the most polarizing. And I have the unpopular. So a lot of people hate three. Um, I think a lot more people hate four. Um, it is because four is such a divergent, I mean, if you, if you look at alien aliens and alien three, the setting and the characters might be a little bit different, but the story is essentially the same. Mm-hmm. Um, alien four is like a complete radical departure from anything in the franchise. It is, uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it cause it, it is, uh, a really wacky movie. It was written by Joss Whedon, <laughs> if that gives you any indication. It was? Yes. <laughs> I think written and directed. I'm not sure if he directed No, no, it, directed is
2: a uh, Fincher.
0: Oh, it's Fincher. Okay.
2: And, and, and I think he had a lot of trouble with that. I, I always wondered if there was a director's cut or something, but um, I think I remember he had uh, a lot of uh, kind of a quarrel with the studio, and I think he didn't get final cut rights. Uh, no, I and think it, he did and he hated the movie. Well, yeah, oh, but... and I,
0: and a lot of people, you can tell. So the the even the Metacritic and and Rotten Tomatoes scores, if you compare them for Alien One and Aliens, um, you know they're in the 80s and 90s, whereas both three and four are cut down to like 50s and 60s. <laughs> so that doesn't mean whenever a movie it like hits that 50 percent or 60 percent mark, I always go see it anyway. Um, because that's that just means it's like some people loved it, some people hated it, right? It's kind of this polarizing thing. Um uh-huh. I have the I am in the unpopular position of having to tell you I love Alien 4. <laughs> <laughs> like I I una- and not ironically either. <laughs> like just <laughs> out and out love. Um, it's it's it might as well be divorced from the rest of the franchise because it's so wildly different, but that's kind of why I love it anyway. Um it's so strange. I was surprised at how little I remembered of the original Alien and, uh, yeah, like, how how much more in the vein of, like, kind of artistic uh, 70s sci-fi it really was because it really does take a lot of time. Um, and these, like, massive sets, I was yeah. so surprised. This is, this is 1979. Like, this is not... Yeah you know, a time where that was easy to do. Um, like this like when they go to find like the giant alien like in the spaceship and all this stuff I was just absolutely blown away yeah. uh, by the yeah. practical effects. Not all the effects hold up. We all know some of that some of that green screen doesn't really hold up so oh, well, no, but, it I, was doesn't. No.
2: but the, I was surprised But it's, all, it's always the models that hold up. I mean I rewatched Star Trek three a few few days ago. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the same. There was some effects of the, the I think the practical effects of anything that have to do with models and set building were mostly amazing back in the day in right. the 70s and 80s. I think there hasn't been much progress in terms of, um, I think, models and and, and and spaceship action and things like right. that since maybe the late 70s. It's pretty been perfected back
0: then. Right. Yeah, I th- and I think a lot of that stuff, you know, continues to look good, whereas yeah. all the other kind of like a uh, rear projection, matte oh, yeah. paintings, and all that kind of stuff it, that that kind of that stuff doesn't always blend in very well.
1: Um, or in so the case probably, of Star like,
2: Trek Three, these uh, animatronic planet surface sets. Oh a- God! <laughs> they look like they um, look like Disney World.
0: Is it is it Star Trek Five or Six? The one where Gatner. Wrote, directed, and starred in why Shatner needs God. <laughs>
2: Damn. Why does um, God needs a spaceship.
0: <laughs> just the opening sequence of that movie is like my favorite horrible green screen shot because it's you know <laughs> tubby ass Shatner trying to scale a rock <laughs> and then he's like falling into a green screen and it is the cheesiest. Most horrible effect I've ever seen ever. Something that also struck me this time though, uh, like the chestburster scene is great. Um, it is a classic and it, it is very effective. But when that thing scuttles away, it is kind of adorable. <laughs> 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 like it just kind of goes like, "Wee!"
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't. Nice they, they, they didn't always handle the alien itself very great, didn't they? because there's some scenes, especially, I think, in outside model shots, this is the one place where the outside model shots really let you down, is there's just scenes where it's a guy in a rubber suit, right?
0: Right, right. It's just a guy in a... Well, <laughs> and I think the most effective scenes are uh, in that last third, so the, the final act of the movie, where mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of, like, strobe effects happening, mm-hmm. the, the lighting gets super chaotic, like, and even just watching it on television or watching it at home, it is very disorienting. It is. Um, yeah. Just the abject fear of seeing that creature in kind of stop motion in that strobe light is terrifying. And I think that's a really good choice to make.
2: No, nobody looks like a human anymore when the, when the movement is shown in strobe lights.
0: No, it, it makes it so um, so unnatural and, and mm-hmm. terrifying looking uh i love i love that that whole third act is almost flawless it is so impeccable um it is. but there's certainly some scenes where you're kind of like well
2: eh. mm-hmm. it is it is the late 70s early 80s movie they, they they didn't really have that worked out by then. do you listen to blank check by any chance
0: no but you've told me
2: about it they did an episode about starship troopers and how starship troopers actually was um made at the um at the peak of um the craft of making um of making practical effects so it was full of practical effects it had some cgi but very little because the the people on this film who made practical effects were at the absolute peak of anybody ever before then and after uh, doing any practical effects and it shows and Star Trek Troopers was made I think in 1998 right 20 years between these two movies so there's a, a lot that still has to happen after that
0: you can tell how well a movie is going to age by the seamlessness between digital effects and the practical mm-hmm. effects. Jurassic Park was made in, like yeah. what, 1993? It's phenomenal. Yes, there are, you know, some, especially the the CGI of some of the dinosaurs in broad daylight don't work as well now as they used to, but everything else is almost seamless. Um, it is truly astonishing to see how well a lot of those effects mm-hmm. hold up, but then when you hear about all of the, like, horrible production uh things that you run into when practical effects break down or the person that's like puppeteering one of them like gets heat exhaustion. And, like, all, of, all of these different things. Um, I can't imagine. What was your overall impression on fi- finishing the movie? Did it meet your expectations? Did it fall a little below? Did you have any issues with the movie in particular?
2: Um, I did. No, I did not have any issues. I was, I was mesmerized. I kind of love late seventies, early eighties science fiction for being for having choices in that nobody would make today. I I love the arguing. I love the the the, the, the long tracking shots throughout the nostril. I love the space porn. I'm here for the space porn. Oh I Great. love the space porn too. And and, and I've always loved the um, the production choices they've made um with with the early alien movies. There's even the video game that I think has the role its whole raison d'être being to recreate that feeling, I don't know. I have you heard about the uh, uh, video game uh, Alien Isolation that came out a few years ago? It was it's really cool. It, it really tried to, uh, for the most part, it tried to recreate the feeling of the first, uh, of the first Alien movie, actually. So oh, the thing cool. is, you spend most of of the game, um, pretty much playing hide and seek with the alien <laughs> on a ship that looks that a lot it like. That
0: makes it sound so cute. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Except the alien wants to kill you you can kill the alien you can't it's not possible
0: <laughs> no it's not possible it's the perfect predator
2: you you have a flamethrower and um i think um, the other thing is you also have this um this motion detector that they have on aliens so you can somehow there it is but every time you use you com- use it you're completely defenseless and you have to if you switch out of it you you remain defenseless for a few seconds so it's Jeez. always whatever you do it's always terrifying you that can pretty much only and the thing is they, they touted it a bit and as far as uh, i got it it, uh, it really um, keeps that promise um, the developers promised it would be this kind of um, this learning ai kind of thing so the AI, ai would react to the things you do it would zero in on you with um, <gasps> game determined uh, that's what you, you need to be pushed a little and things like that. Right. And you couldn't be, you couldn't be loud. You, so there were other enemies in this game. Um, but um, you better don't shoot at them because the alien's going to come. Things like that. Uh, um, yes. And they, they worked really hard to recreate the, um, the atmosphere of the original alien movie.
0: I actually, now that you're describing it, I feel like I did watch an early demo, maybe on Kotaku, um, when, the, when it first came out. Yeah. Uh but I ha- I never got to play it. I don't really have a console or a computer that it is capable of playing too many games.
2: Yeah. Also,
0: I am a ninny when it comes to horror games. Oh yeah. Uh, that does, oh, yeah. uh I
2: have uh, I have covered Gamescom, uh, which is pretty much the um I think the, the biggest consumer video games expo in the world, um which is uh conveniently happening every year in the town I live in. Perfect. Um, and I covered it. For, used to cover it for the radio station I was working at for, for a long time. And I actually uh, pushed them really, really hard uh, to do uh, alien isolation. The year it was at the expo, and the year it came out. So that was a few, I think, a few months before it ca- before it came out. And um, I played it on the show floor. This is the least scary place you can imagine. Right. And I couldn't do it
0: it's terrifying so like for me horror I think the reason why alien is so scary and still is probably like the thing that terrifies me the most um I don't really uh find supernatural kinds of horror compelling um mostly because ghosts ain't real and that's just like not a thing that I can accept as part of my world but uh for some reason, the idea that you could travel somewhere and bring back this horrifying monster with you, mm-hmm. it seems much more immediate, and it's also so uh, viscerally displayed in all of the films. It is just palpable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the idea of playing a first-person game with that as the premise, terrifying. Totally,
2: totally. <laughs> Absolutely I did. I did not... I think this this demo was scheduled for like... Ten or fifteen minutes, or th- or something, and um, I I think I lasted two or three. There mm-hmm. was there was some confrontation and something you had to do to provoke the alien. You, know, you would automatically do to, to provoke the alien, and I just couldn't bring myself to. Really my <laughs> heart was pounding.
0: They I, should I, pu- they should hook you up to a heart rate monitor. That should be part of the uh the advertising, like how high does it get your it heart rate? It should have been a part of the
2: advertising because it was. <laughs> It was terrifying. And oh they it touted all these uh I'm sending you the image right now. It's uh-huh. that's...
0: is it the, it's supposed to be the Nostromo, yeah?
2: And uh, no, I think it's, it's sister ship or something like that. A different kind of ship. But still whale uh, Wayland Utani, I think.
0: Man, it is it it mimics the style almost perfectly.
2: They did something else. Um I think for some of the um the in-game um okay. The in-game, like uh, all your video logs, you can find, and I think also for the, the for the screen of this device of the, of the uh, of the proximity sensor you're seeing in the mm-hmm. in the screenshot, um, they actually I think they filmed CRTs displaying old VHS tapes, so they were in really deep into recreating nice. this 70s, 80s aesthetic. It was they, they were so that. proud of this. There was so much, so much promo just about them doing that kind of effort. It's, it's unreal. <laughs> it's really unreal.
0: That's impressive. Um, I love the dedication to detail. And I think what's sort of interesting to me about Alien as a franchise, if we kind of take a step back and take a look at it, is, for example, like watching Alien 1, the first movie, is such a radically different experience than, say, further down the line when we get into, like, Alien versus Predator. Like how did we how did we go from something that is is closer to like an art horror film uh an art horror sci-fi film to like just shameless cross promotion <laughs> that, <laughs> like,
2: that is that that hey headcan <laughs> headcanon here headcanon um, <laughs> that is actually whale and hutani in action they it, that is corporate synergy it's, it's
0: perfect actually and <laughs> and dovetails with my statement earlier was like it's kind of become its own animal. This whole thing has become like a horrible beast in and of itself. Speaking of, speaking,
2: speaking of, of um, uh, Aliens vs. Predator, I think the. Um, I, I don't actually know where this came from because it wasn't a movie first. It definitely wasn't a movie first. There was a video game before that that also did. It was also called Aliens vs. Predator. And I'm not sure if there was a comic as well, but definitely the, the, um, the video game predated the movie by a few years.
0: Really? I never knew that.
2: I mean, it's a pretty video game, you can see. Nice. <laughs> it is so video game. <laughs> the, um, the video game was pretty neat, actually. I never played that because I'm also a ninny, and I, wasn't even, I was even a bigger kind of a ninny when that came out. I think it was like 15 <laughs> something. So this is, I think this game is from 99 or 2000 or something like that. Wow. And, um, as far as I remember, um, um, it was kind of about that all you, you can play as all three of them, so uh, humans, predators, and aliens, and they all have different strengths and weaknesses, and um, okay. it's also kind of terrifying. It, it can be really empowering to play as the alien, but it can also be kind of terrifying because you're um, – I don't know exactly why this is uh, – this would – this is where research would have been would have been handy, but I didn't think that game would ever come up. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I think there was something about uh, you were kind of vulnerable as the alien, though that doesn't make sense if you watched the movie. But hey, what makes sense about aliens versus Predator, really.
0: I mean, it's just two awesome things shove them together, right? Take <laughs> like, two successful franchises smish them together <laughs> that's all
2: great taste what could go wrong
0: what could go wrong except for uh what is there was a, a the latest predator movie i can't remember if alien is any part of it um all i remember about this movie because it is utterly forgettable is what we call the sleigh ride to friendship where a human and a predator literally get on like a bobsled together <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, what are you even talking and
0: bobsled down down a mountain it's amazing it's truly one of the greatest moments in terrible cinema um, so
2: that, that is from aliens, aliens versus predator right uh
0: i think it's from the most recent avp uh, i can't yeah, i can't 100 percent yeah. confirm that um, that movie is is pure garbage um, But it's kind of a fun garbage. I think, again, this is why, like, Alien vs. Predator works well because it's just schlock, right? It's just schlocky schlock, and that's what people want. Um, But it's interesting to see the evolution. Like, imagine if 2001 A Space Odyssey had turned into something like Alien vs. Predator. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, fetus in space eats the whole world. (laughs) Like, Like what what kind of...
2: What would have been the, uh, the synergetic crossover for 2001?
0: Right, like what would have made sense? Um, <laughs> like...
2: Well, what have, would have made the, 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 the least sense?
0: What, what, what and what would have been the most shameless cash grab?
2: I'm afraid I can't let you do that, Darth. <laughs> maybe that. Oh, uh, Maybe that. <laughs>
0: So I I think uh, there's a lot of archetypal motherhood in Alien that I've totally forgot about and and was something that really struck me on seeing it again. Did you watch the director's cut or did you watch the theatrical cut? Do you remember? That is
2: a good question.
0: I can tell you if you've seen the director's cut or not. Was there a scene where Ripley finds Dallas and Brett
2: Mm. and they're being kind
0: of like subsumed into like some kind of alien sack? No. Then you watch the theatrical cut. Okay. So the theatrical cut, uh, there's only I think four minutes of in of new footage um, in the director's cut. I personally think they both work. Um, I think everybody should see the theatrical before they see um, the director's cut, simply because I think the momentum kind of lose. I like the extra scene. It is horrifying in kind of a Cronenberg kind of body horror sort of way Mm -hmm. um but I think it also kind of uh stops you dead in dead in your tracks because you're she's like literally on the hunt for the alien and or like trying to get away from it um and blow up the whole ship and that kind of like stops you dead in your tracks when she finds Dallas and they even have a conversation or he's like groaning slightly um it's horrifying and definitely adds to the atmosphere, but it, it, it doesn't really add to the pacing. So I get why they got rid of it for the theatrical cut for sure. Um, I've actually found that, yeah, that my tolerance for horror has increased as I've gotten older. So like when I was very little, um, hated anything that scared me or, or, um, was terrifying in some way. So, uh, again going back to my my early history as a Disney kid they used to have uh they actually used to have a it wasn't really a ride it's more of an experience i don't i don't really know how to describe it um it's actually they disney admitted that it was completely ripped off of alien the franchise um and it was called alien encounter um which is weird to me, because they have the great movie ride, so they have the license for the alien character in that particular attraction, but they don't have the license for this other attraction in another park. Very bizarre. I don't know oh, what it's the legal-
2: it's, it's, it's IP stuff.
0: It's all IP. Anyway, um, the whole conceit of this whole thing is, um, you're there for a corporate seminar, um, <laughs> which is, absolutely adorable um it is and it's it's about uh, kind of transporting things from one place to another so you go in to an auditorium it's a full 360 theater um and every single seat has a brace that comes down so that you can't move um and then there's kind of the center column where they're supposed to be demonstrating this technology to you and of course Something goes horribly wrong um, <laughs> and and what happens is a you know uh, an alien like creature gets transported in the middle, breaks out of this tube of glass, and then everything goes like pitch black and you're locked into place
2: was it was it holographic or was it animatronic yeah, it was or an, an actor animatronic. Uh, okay. so
0: there's there's a whole bunch of different animatronics that used to come out of this thing it's now a defunct uh, uh, ride they've changed it into like Stitches, wild ride from Lilo and Stitch which is something I hate but we'll we'll get back to that later um and it gives you the experience of like if you were literally immobilized uh and and this alien thing like there's sound effects there are breathing effects uh like a- across your neck there's uh moisture oh. that starts to happen and it's all in complete pitch-black darkness uh, so That's it takes terrifying. advantage. Terrifying. oh absolutely terrifying um i refused to go on that as a kid like i i would just flat out say no um my parents one time like really wanted me to go uh so they pretended How old were
2: you?
1: To, uh
0: i think i was like seven um
2: my parents were monsters in one way but your parents were monsters in <laughs> jesus christ
0: so they really wanted me to go, and I refused. Um, so they pretended like they were gonna go on the ride without me, and left me outside by myself. And I was just sobbing, like <laughs> sobbing the forever. Monsters things.
2: <laughs> that theme is continuing.
0: They eventually came back, and they were like, "It's okay, you don't have to go." But I think they were thinking Jesus that crazy. if they, <laughs> I think two <laughs> <Your if>
2: parents that. <laughs> right I think
0: if they they were thinking that if you know I was you know. Uh, alone long enough that that I would go and join them. But sure. they underestimated my fear of that ride. I did eventually go on it um, when I got older. But yeah, I think a lot of um, the horror stuff that I've been able to really start to appreciate more as an adult um, is both psychological horror and uh, sci-fi horror. I especially like body horror for some reason. Um body horror is really gross to me, but uh like I'm aii I like Cronenberg. Give me I mean, a good... gross
2: is fine.
0: Like yeah, like gross and gore is all right with me. Um and I've now even because you know like supernatural horror is not something that I find particularly compelling, I appreciate it more on an aesthetic level. Yeah. Uh,
1: and yeah, like it,
0: I, I think I appreciate especially something like the alien franchise more now as an adult, even just watching it yesterday than I would have as a as a kid, even though it probably would have had a more profound uh visceral effect on me as a, as a kid
2: i kind of, I kind of regret I uh, did not have the opportunity to watch it in a, in a less inebriated state <laughs> um, so my so my notes get less and less legible <laughs> mm. Oh you said hell. <laughs> How it's um, the the aspect of Wayland Yutani that it's such a such a um, in a way an anti-capitalist movie that it has, definitely has these undertones and it's kind of interesting because it's very eighties in that I think although really? it's very early eighties as well so it's kind of foreboding as as well because there's a lot of things in there that particularly eighties I think so it's very um, the Japanese aspect is I think something that is very eighties the yep. I, th- I think they used to actually call it the yellow panic
0: mm-hmm. yeah no you're you're on the money with that one
2: it's It's sane thinking about this uh, from today's because, perspective well, that's well, only but
0: yeah it's, i mean that's that's the period of time in Japan i mean, having studied it for quite a long time mm-hmm. um, there was quite a financial boom going on in Japan, it was kind of the financial bubble and then and the recession hadn't really hit yet. Um, that didn't happen until the late 80s, early 90s. So uh, yeah, there was this kind of panic about, uh, especially uh, like a lot of like technology and, and products that had never been introduced into the market before um, coming out of Japan. And so the, just the, the idea of, uh, of another country being so far ahead in terms of technological advance, um, I think was causing a lot of panic um but also, you know, the the history of that and, and uh you know Japan's tensions with the rest of the world um have been quite palpable. So yeah, there's certainly an element of that uh in Weyland yutani as as a corporation. Um I think there kind was of
2: being also this- also a lot of um I think there were especially in in eighties sci fi there was a lot of anti capitalist undercurrents. I think people mm-hmm. were kind of afraid that um, corporations were sometimes going to run the world and governments would uh, have no say in that and i think Wayland is is uh, still is is an early example of that i think the, the idea that you have such a massive ship and i think they that was hinted at how massive the nostromo is yes it's and, so
0: and, that's another thing that surprised me watching it again i was like i forgot how big that ship is it's just towering
2: yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, I think they, uh one of the things that hit me really early on is uh, that the on on screen text says crew compartment seven,
1: mm-hmm. and that
2: stood out that stood out to me because I thought how small must you feel being on that ship, and I think that's 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 something that the movie wants you to feel, right?
0: Right. Well, and small in in comparison, not only to uh, the industrial might of this particular vessel, but the company that ostensibly probably has, what, hundreds of these v- types of things? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the scale of this operation is massive. And and one of the ways that Ridley Scott was able to really convey that sense of scale was, I don't know if you know this, uh, he cast... Uh, in a lot of those like wide shots where you see some of the actors kind of going into, um, either larger portions of, uh, the Nostromo itself or in the alien ship. Um, those are actually his sons. Um, he put, he put children into these little suits, um, to create even a more massive idea of space. Um, (laughs) and apparently the suits didn't have any ventilation in them so the kids were constantly like passing out and they had to figure out how how to how to get some kind of oxygen fed in into these suits yeah Ridley (laughs) Scott's kind of a dick
2: (laughs) kind of you say
0: (laughs) just like I mean he made this amazing movie um but uh yeah uh not exactly something that would fly into uh today's OSHA regulations.
2: He was, he was um, <laughs> no, or any regulation at all. <laughs> any regulation you could think of. Oh my God, you met your own children.
1: Yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ. yeah.
0: God. Yep. No. I mean, anything for the shot, I guess.
2: Mm, apparently. Um, he was the Dan Hauser of his time. I don't know if, <laughs> if you, if you that, you probably call that controversy, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> that's kind of. His that's kids probably
2: did 100-hour weeks.
0: <laughs> Absolutely insane. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there weren't any uh any monitors on on that particular set. Um, <laughs> what's interesting to me, though, especially about the casting, you can definitely there's this kind of tension specifically around Ripley, amongst the whole cast. Um, she's kind of antagonistic, especially to uh, to most people on the cast, they don't really listen to her. um, And or like when she gives orders, they kind of follow them begrudgingly, especially early in the movie. Um, And it it turns out that, so this was her first starring role. um, And a lot of these other actors had been in a a host of other productions. Um, So that was a very real tension on set. Um, People were, were not as warm to Sigourney Weaver as they were to other people that were were on that set. And also everybody for for a typical sci-fi horror movie or any science fiction movie, everyone is aged up quite a bit. Um, All of those characters are are a little bit older than was typical for the time. Um, So I think uh, John Hurt was almost 50. Uh, Ian Holm was well into his 50s. Uh, Tom Skerritt was uh, like 42-45 um and then Ripley and our other and our other female character were like in their early 20s 30s um
2: still old for 70s movies
0: well, yeah which is still aged up quite a bit um and also to think that
2: it's insane to work, if you think about it that's
0: strange to think about um yeah like think about how rare it is in a, a late seventies movie to have your not only your female protagonist not be in her early twenties, um, but that she's the youngest person on set at twenty nine. That's that's crazy.
2: Yeah. I, I think especially by taste. I think that would even be crazy today.
0: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Um but I think that also gives the the movie a more more of a sense of realism because you're you're looking at people like this is a job like these are people that have been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. and they're just here to get in get out and and do what they're supposed to be doing
2: i mean you um, can't, can't have 30 year olds play truckers in space not yeah you well, and you, you just like, kind of,
0: like uh people that are like 21 22 doing this sort of thing I was actually waiting for uh, something kind of sexist to happen. <laughs> like I was, I was waiting. I was, I'm like, this is 1979. Like somebody's going to make some kind of comment or there's going to be some kind of uh, gender bias. Um, which is why I wouldn't actually looked it up. Cause I was like, why? I didn't, there's nothing that's super problematic. Um, even by today's standards. The only thing that I would say um, might be a little bit, Is there's a scene uh, where you see like a bunch of there's there's a lot of porn on a wall at some point
1: in the background.
0: What you didn't notice all the porn in the wall? It was like just like naked ladies and shit. Obviously somebody's bunk. Um, I think Ripley goes to look at some. Oh no, it's uh, it's when uh, Ash, our our Mm -hmm. android character, Mm -hmm. tries tries to kill her via magazine. Which is an unusual,
2: oh right, yeah, yeah. an
0: unusual <laughs> method.
2: <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um,
0: so, yeah, he's trying to shove the magazine down her throat, and behind him, I, you know what? This actually makes a lot more thematic sense now that I'm describing it. Um, yeah, he's trying to like force something down an orifice mm-hmm. while there are pictures <laughs> of naked ladies all behind him. Um, Symbolism symbolism, mise-en-scene, it's everywhere. Um, I mean, the, the, what's interesting to me is I think that most people don't really pick up on that. I don't think most people will, will see Alien and understand um, the sexual politics of it, um, but it's very there if you watch it again as an adult or um, have any kind of like feminist or critical theory under your belt, it is very overt and it's not particularly subtle and it gets less subtle um throughout the rest of the franchise i would say
2: it's kind of an inverse blade runner it's kind of some things are kind of harder to pick up um if you watch it from today's perspective i think the, the kind of thing that i mentioned that uh, this is a young woman giving orders to older men i think in, in reality this is this is often a problem but if you watch a movie the, these days it's nothing unusual anymore i think right yeah. I think you really have, have to get yourself into the headspace of uh, remembering or or thinking about that being a problem for these characters as they were as they were imagined. We have to talk about the spacesuit scene. Is this scene male gazy or is it not? Because I'm not sure.
0: I I'm not male, so I don't have a male perspective. To me, it's not particularly sexy nudity or enticing in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh because, well, you do feel this kind of release of, like, finally Ripley's going to be able to rest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Ridley Scott's like, surprise, bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, I think the reason why maybe Ripley became such an icon is most of us lesbians, we've got a soft spot for what, what, what I would call a soft butch. Um, somebody that's
2: <laughs> a little bit more <laughs>
0: masculine of center. Yeah, I know
2: what you mean, yeah.
0: As, as a woman.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and typically we see these characters and I don't, I, I kind of feel like I can't make a definitive statement on this. Um, I feel like this kind of aesthetic of like woman in a wife beater without a bra, which is a thing in, in lesbiandom. Um, and you see it in a lot of, uh, lesbian films, like bound, um, this, this particular kind of... Ooh, man, I can't
2: of, wait to get into these films. <laughs> <We> <laughs> that's that's the setting we, I definitely like.
0: We, we should just go get into, uh, into lesbian wife-beater movies, which is a horrible name for a tank top. It's just a white tank top is what it is. But in America, we call it a wife-beater, which is absolutely horrible. I also think, I don't... Like, when did Sally Ride... Sally Ride was our first American female astronaut. And uh-huh. Sally Ride has a striking resemblance to Ripley, like same like curly kind of like shoulder length, brunette hair. And she's also, she was also a lesbian that came out much later. Um, she had a life partner for a long time. So I don't know if that's like a thing of like art imitates life or life imitates art. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is male Gazy in a little way I think the reason it strikes me is kind of like unsexy nudity is because it it seems more like something that I would do every day. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm not viewing it from that lens. It also doesn't seem kind of lecherous and creepy in that it like focuses on panning up and down her body or um, focusing in on one or one or two elements of her body, which would be mm-hmm. more of a male gaze sort of thing. It's kind of more like a disinterested voyeur perspective if you look at that scene and the camera work of it so i think there's an argument to be made for either side i it didn't strike me as male gazy from my perspective mm-hmm. but i see how you would argue that it could be she doesn't have to strip down to get into the pod technically although everybody oh. did
2: i thought it wasn't male gazey uh, as well because but 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 i i kind of had to second guess that a bit because um it's it's kind of it's kind of a difficult position to to see a movie or scene in a movie as a man and say that is not mega easy. Right. It felt to me like it wasn't because she was kind of um it's it's not per se objectifying the only male gaze thing I um I I um I saw and it was well, I saw it and I found it hard, but um was the very fact the only fact of it that might have made it gaze you, I, th- I think is um, that it was there in the first place right
0: um, and I I yeah like it didn't It didn't strike me as particularly gratuitous in any way simply because that we have already established in the movie that this is what you do when you're about to go into hypersleep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if that had not been established then it would have
2: oh, yeah, been right. kind I, of like the about that.
0: Star Trek into darkness when we've got what's-her-face uh, who, who literally just strips down for fan service, and we're like, why why is this happening? Those it's apps were fantastic.
2: Like Those are fantastic <laughs> apps. Um, I'd, wa- I, I'd want to show them off if I had them. So.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you got them, flaunt them. Okay. But, you know, maybe not in that way.
2: Um, maybe, maybe not, no.
0: But I do think uh, that is something aesthetically that uh, as a as a queer person, you might read into a little bit more because it is so kind of disinterested mm-hmm. um, in over sexualizing Ripley, and so you're more interested in Ripley as a character being a motherfucking badass, mm-hmm. um, being the person that is level-headed throughout an, an incredibly stressful situation, mm-hmm. um, and and also being you know the the lone survivor and having to deal with that. And you see a lot more of that, I think, in the sequel of Ripley's female strength, and it is very much colored that way. Again, motherhood, and uh, whether it is a violent motherhood, or it is archetypal motherhood, or a more human version of motherhood, uh, this this mother figure is consistent throughout the franchise it's,
2: it's very prominent in uh, in aliens uh, even more prominent in aliens as well right i mean right, I, if, if, if i remember the plot correctly the the alien they accidentally bring home with them breeds in aliens and kind of tries to hatch and protect its children right but also yes. ripley tries to protect the the little girl that is on the newt. ship with her
0: yes newt yeah. her name is yeah. newt um yeah. and and so she has a much more or overt role to play. Um, and what I love, I guess, about the rest of the Alien movies is that they just take that um, perspective deeper and deeper. Yeah. Um, if you're really paying attention, um, that that particular imagery is, and, and, and those connotations are just driven further and further um, into the ground. Uh, yeah. But I think, part of the inherent fear and the inherent, like the reason why alien in and of itself as a concept, why you can do it, like literally, the plot of of each movie is, especially one through three, is very, very similar. Um, Different circumstances, but essentially the problem is, an alien has happened (laughs) in in some way or form. And we have
2: to- I can get behind. (laughs)
0: has happened uh, that's it well
2: that's all you need
0: the official tagline as we all know is uh in space in nobody space can moment. hear you scream yeah. um which i mean sort of true i guess if you were all alone but i mean it'll still reverberate throughout your body so true. it depends on like you know like a ship is gonna make noise um because it has material to reverberate through it's not like a completely...
2: Oh, There's such, such a level of space physics pedantry. I was told. Totally <laughs> <prepared. laughs>
0: you want to get even more pedantic? Um, the thing that always surprises me in older science fiction movies is everybody is smoking in a highly oxygenized environment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you would all... And nobody explains it. It's never like, oh, we've... Like a one line, like, oh, we figured out how to do whatever so that we don't all blow up. (laughs) But especially in this movie, like everybody's just smoking constantly.
2: (laughs) Truth be told. (laughs) Truth be told, smoking in movies, uh, is just in general so off-putting to watch these days. It's so weird.
0: It's very jarring, especially in modern times. Um, Well, it's because Philip Morris used to kind of pay blowbacks To American film companies, all of those films got funded in some way or were lobbied in some way to keep cigarettes in the film because cigarettes look cool on film. Were you ready for Ian Holm to be discovered as an android, or did that come as a surprise?
2: It kinda did. Kinda did. Uh, Yeah.
0: I if I had been watching when I was watching it this time, I know what's happening. And I'm like, it's so subtle. Um, But it's also interesting, I highly recommend seeing it again to see Ian Holm. Uh, He does give little kind of micro hints uh, as to what's happening, but it's very different from, say, Bishop in Aliens, um, who's who's the, the android character there, and then if you look at the new franchise, the Prometheus and Alien Covenant franchise, um Michael Fassbender plays an android character very uh non naturally it, it, it's very much like a data like performance mm-hmm. um it's wooden and and kind of not as natural um which is why i found ian holmes uh performance so compelling um i think if i did i if i hadn't known the twist i would have never guessed uh and it does come as a shock right it's just uh, the, it's also the, subtle the, that whole scene where he attacks Ripley is is intense.
2: The weird thing about um, about that is I knew there were androids in that universe. I knew they existed, but I kind of didn't didn't make that connection. I guess.
0: Right. Well, and I think that is a credit to Ian Holm as an actor. Um, if you watch it again, I think you'll see, like, very, very subtle hints, um, but you would have to know what to be picking up on. Another thing that's interesting to me about uh, Alien is, uh, is just the alien design in general. It plays on our fears of... First of all, it's, it's hyper-intelligent, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it has this, like, gigantic, almost phallic kind of skull. Um, mm-hmm. and, but it has no eyes it doesn't have any visual acuity at all. So you're just removing one sense and it, all of a sudden it's absolutely terrifying, right? Um, mm-hmm. So Lindsay Ellis has a good joke about this. Uh, she did a, a video essay on uh, Independence Day and it's very clear that Roland Emmerich when he was making Independence Day ripped off the alien from Alien. Um, mm-hmm but instead of uh taking away the eyes he took away the mouth <laughs> it's it's like the perfect example of that meme like can i copy your homework sure just change it a little bit so it doesn't look the same
2: <laughs> although there 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 is horror there, there, i think there's horror hidden in that just not from, oh, yeah, horror perspective, from the perspective of the alien there's um there's a, um, a video game in it, I think in a point and click adventure from the early 90s that's um, very um, uh, un- untypical for the, atypical for this period of time. It's not a comedy, comedy game. Um, it's called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. I think it's based on a Harlan Ellison uh, wow. novel or something like that. And that, that, that title alone is it's just so it's just pure horror.
0: Yeah. Pure horror. Um, and it's, a, a, and, and that is the type of horror that's, that's played upon in this movie. It is. Um, so yeah, like you're, the alien has no eyes and yet is still this incredible predator, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of the, the perfect predator. And also talking about, um, kind of the awe of nature. So there's, there are a couple of scenes in which we focus on Jonesy, like, uh, one of the technicians gets like horribly murdered. Um, and, and Jonesy just kind of, we, we focus in on, on this cat's face for mm-hmm. a small moment. Um, and it struck me as, so like Jonesy and the alien are probably more akin to each other than anything else because they're both organic and their sole goal in life is mm. to survive. Oh yeah. Um, so we we have this kind of recurring theme of kind of the ferocity and the indifference of nature um as opposed to human interests right this this uh organic force it's you know uh to to quote Jurassic Park again life hmm. finds a way right um it is uh, existence on its purest form without concern for anything other than existence, which I think puts our own existential panic into sharp relief right um, that the the world and uh, you know nature is is a chaos agent it has no concern for your life it has no concern for anything other than survival itself
2: um, I think- I think what, what makes me think about that right now, that juxtaposition, is that um, um basically cats cats used to be or cats uh, are very closely related to apex predators, after all. Yes. So it's it's kind of weird having this juxtaposition between a uh, domesticized or well, somewhat domesticized. <laughs> well, um,
0: a self-domesticized animal.
2: But whale utani would definitely want to domesticate. The alien in some way—that's definitely something they would want to do. And I think that's, they wanna, that they want to—they
0: want to weaponize it. I—I I, I think that's well, and and that becomes more clear throughout the rest of the franchise. Spoiler alert: um, that the the whole goal of bringing this organism back to Earth and and studying it, um, is is the same kind of awe I think that we're describing when we're talking about domesticated cats, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that Um, there is this little domesticated predator that you can keep in your living room, uh, that is highly effective at what it does so much that like when a cat leaves your house, you don't have to worry about the cat. You have to worry about the environment. (laughs) (laughs) You, you, you genuinely need to worry about everything else (laughs) except for the cat. The cat will probably be fine. Um, so I, I think what Weyland Yutani wants to do is turn it into, um, super weapon uh because what else would they
2: do they're a they're a giant evil faceless corporation that's the one thing they're interested in
0: right and well and also you can't kill it um you can eject it into space and you can you have to you have to get it outside you if an alien predator ended up on earth uh you would have to literally like nuke it into the sun to get rid of it because its blood would eat through. You can't, you can't maim it in any way.
2: Like a really, really bad date.
0: <laughs> like a very bad date.
2: Was this Sigourney's um, star making appearance?
0: Yes. So she, she had been in other films before, but she had never had a starring role. So this was her first starring role. Mm-hmm. Um so this really did introduce her um and and really launched her whole career um much to the chagrin of other people what what's interesting to me is that uh you know like Tom Skerritt uh Ian Holm John Hurt those are all names that we would all recognize i've seen all of those other actors in other 70s movies um but didn't really have uh the same kind of staying power But it's it's quite a powerhouse cast Um, and and none of those names, I mean, some of them were were well-known, but um, not nearly to the extent that they would be later in the 80s. She was a powerhouse in the 80s and then she came back. And she also uh, is one of those uh, interesting actors that has managed to maintain quite a good reputation for herself by by doing primarily um, science fiction films.
2: Uh, I just found a movie I have to rewatch that stars her Uh, it's Working Girl Um,
0: (gasps) Working Girl is so good though
2: (laughs) I remember this movie I I have seen it I don't remember much about it other than Sigourney People was the greatest
0: oh she's she's an amazing bitch on wheels she doesn't take any shit (laughs) One thing we forgot to do in this episode is uh, an outro. Um, so that's that's you're hearing future Tobias and Allison um, <laughs> wrapping this this hot mess of an episode up um, with some kind of uh, <laughs> comprehensible ending, other than just. Uh, our adoration of Sigourney Weaver as a motherfucking badass, which she is, um, but uh, she
2: definitely is. And if you haven't seen the the New Defenders, you should, because Sigourney Weaver is is, is such a great villain in this thing. So um, I don't think we can overstate how much we adore her.
0: Yes, she's incredible, um, and just such a versatile actress. I think she's she's so cool, um, and she also truly carries this franchise like nobody else um, and that's evident once you you know, lose her in uh, Alien versus Predator and you're like wait a minute this doesn't work as well
2: <laughs> speaking of how well or how not well things work I think this uh, worked a lot better than I had expected for uh, a podcast by two people who uh, hadn't like we said talked to each other before so I had even I had fun listening to us us talking ourselves which is r- a really weird thing to say i guess
0: <laughs> again we're narcissists we love to listen to ourselves um so we hope it's as fun for you guys as it was for us especially because you know we we just recorded well into the night uh for tobias uh who was a champ oh yeah staying up late um recording on a sunday Oof. but yeah let us know your thoughts uh we definitely want to hear from you guys uh like we said uh you know we are hoping to plan things out and have more of a structure uh, like most podcasts do in future. Uh, this was just a dry run to see if this was even a viable concept. Uh, we think it is. Uh, we think more good things to come. So stay tuned for that and we'd love to hear you know what you guys think.
2: Yeah, we definitely do.